Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus who was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all, who they, 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 they are the crowd. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He is going to be a guest with a man who is a sinner? Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Can we say amen? amen? Is it possible to have a life change? If you watch infomercials at night, they're going to sell you some kind of life change. Whether it's a shark vacuum cleaner or Ginsu knives. And I'm showing my age with Ginsu knives. But everybody's trying to sell you life change. But in Christ, there's true life change. In the Lord, there's true life change. He produces a change that only God can do because it's from the inside out and it starts in the spirit of man. When God comes and saves a person, he comes into the spirit of that person and revives that spirit. And then you come alive in a way that you couldn't by just some self-discipline. Self-discipline is important. The Bible talks about it. We need self-discipline. If you want to lose weight, want to quit smoking, want to get up earlier in the morning, you need some self-discipline. But the kind of life change I'm talking about doesn't come through self-discipline. It comes through an encounter with the living God. Now, out of that can come self-discipline. But you can't get this by working your way into it. It has to be an encounter with the living God. Can somebody shout amen? So we have this story in Scripture Jesus is walking through Jericho, and there's a man who's a very wealthy tax collector. And not only that, he's a chief tax collector, which means that he's over several other tax collectors probably. And he's the one who is managing the whole operation. Not only that, Jericho was a border town. And because it was a border town, tax revenue was probably a big deal in Jericho. And so here he hears of Jesus, and he wants to see him, so he climbs up in a tree so he can see him. But the whole story shifts in an interesting way because it shifts from this man taking initiative to Jesus taking the initiative and looking up and calling him out by name. Amen. Calling him out by name. So I want to break this passage down and talk about uh, how do we see Jesus. It's really about seeing I think there's something in Luke's writing here that Luke wants us to see. He says that, that the, the, the man Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, and Jesus saw him, and then the crowd saw them. 
So there's, a, there's something interesting going on with seeing here. And if you'll notice the verses in chapter 18 right before this passage, it's about Jesus giving a blind man sight. It's about Jesus giving a blind man sight and how the people who uh, were around criticizing them were really the blind ones. If you look at John chapter 9, it's what happens there. Jesus heals a blind man. And then at the end, it's the blind man who can really see spiritually, but it's the Pharisees who had perfect sight who couldn't see spiritually. There's a play on the word sight or seeing, and I see it played out here in Luke chapter 19. Here are crowds who should be seeing the Lord for who He is, but all they can see is their tradition and objections to this whole scenario. That Jesus, who's supposed to be a great teacher and rabbi and holy man, is entertaining a known tax collector who is a sinner. So I'm going to show you three things out of this text, and I, th I think it speaks to life change. First of all, to have a life change, you must desire to see him. The Bible says that Zacchaeus desired to see him. You must desire to see the Lord. You're coming, even if like in Axel's testimony, he wasn't even interested at first, but once he hung around the waters, he started getting curious as to what really is going on, and he started looking for the Lord. Amen? There has, there's a desire. You know, one man called it the power of positive desire. That's faith. It arises in your heart. To each man is dealt the measure of faith. Each of us have something in us that can respond to God. John Wesley years ago called that prevenient grace, a grace that comes before that prepares the heart to receive the Word of God. Each of us have, have, to each of us has been dealt the measure of faith that we can believe. And then at some point, I think the Lord lights us up and our desire gets strong for Him. And we want to see Him and we want to get a glimpse of Him. Let me show you some details about this story that's interesting. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. So he would have played a managerial role, and the Bible mentions his wealth. Out of these ten verses of the story, seven of them Luke deals with just the details. Because Luke was a detailed guy. If you read his uh, description of healings later on the book of Acts he was into evidence and he was into details so he plays out all these details and I think it is very important so Roman tax collectors and it's interesting I'm preaching this on April 15th <laughs> I did not plan that I did a men, uh, uh, we did a men's, con men's conference yesterday in Roanoke, Virginia and I was driving back and Dana, Dana says what are you preaching and I said well I'm preaching on Zacchaeus and she said because it's tax day, I said, I didn't think anything about that. But anyhow, the Roman tax collectors were different than the tax collectors today, somewhat. The Roman tax collectors back then uh, were viewed as traitors by the Jewish people because they, were <laughs> because they were working for the Roman Empire who were the occupiers and invaders of Jewish territory. Not only that, I've learned through the years that they bid, they would, the Roman Empire would bid out these jobs. And then the guy who got, gave them the highest bid would often become the tax collector. And then he could go and kind of exact what he wanted to from the people. 
So if you notice in the Gospels, tax collectors are often linked with sinners. And there's an old Latin term that comes out in the King James sometimes called publicans. They're publicans and sinners. Publican listed together. Because where you find a tax collector, you find a sinner in the eyes of the Jewish people. But this guy got curious and had a desire to see the Lord. And the Bible talks about him being of small stature. So he climbs up in a sycamore tree so he can see Jesus. And the next thing that happened is Jesus sees him and then calls him. Because the Lord knows you and he'll call you by name. The Lord knows you and he will call you by name. He knows you. He knew you from your mother's womb. And he's been watching you your entire life. You haven't, you've never gone off his radar You've never gone too far that he couldn't find you. You've never gotten so deep in sin that he didn't know exactly where you were and knew exactly what you needed. And I, I, I dare to say you're in this building today because he had some angels watching over you and somebody probably praying for you that kept you alive to see this day, April 15, 2023. Can somebody shout amen? amen. You're in this building for a reason today. It's not by chance or, or happenstance. It's by divine design that you're here listening to this today because God wants you to see and hear as he calls you by name. Amen. So he looks up and he calls him out by name. And the Bible says that Zacchaeus responded joyfully. This is what happens when people who don't know the Lord experience the Lord. Joy comes into your heart. Joy comes into your heart. Why do we sing music like we do and play music and lift our hands and smile and shout? Because we're happy people. We are happy. We, we're not, this is not like, uh, you know, we're going to come and get down sad and, and sing, you know, songs about our wives leaving and us being drunk last night and the dog deserting us. And I'm not into that. We're going to talk about Waymaker. Miracle worker, promise keeper, lying in the darkness. That's what I'm talking about. That's some joy. Come on, somebody. He joyfully, when Jesus called him, it's like he was overcome with joy. Why? Because everybody else had been condemning him. Maybe you feel like that. Everybody's been condemning you, pointing fingers at you. And now God calls you and he calls you out by name. It's a time to be happy and rejoice. Can somebody say amen? amen? And then something happens. Then there's an exchange between Jesus and Zacchaeus. And I'm going to be honest with you, the text threw me for a bit and I'm going to describe it here. Let's notice this. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look. Look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor, and, I, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Now, when you read this, I'm reading New King James, which is a literal translation. If you read it in the ESV or the NASV or King James, it's going to be the same because the verb used here is present active indicative. It's a present tense verb in Greek. I restore. The NASV has I. Let me read it. I want to get it right. I am giving to the poor. The ESV reads, I give to the poor, as the New King James. 
Why am I going into this? Because when I saw this, it threw me for a moment. Was Zacchaeus really a good guy who's saying he does give to the poor and he does restore? Because it's in the present tense. Then, so I went to that fount of all knowledge, YouTube. <laughs> and I found a guy teaching on YouTube. This guy, really innovative teacher. And uh, he had a really interesting way of bringing out this passage. And his interpretation was, Zacchaeus really was a good guy. The crowds were just condemning him. And Jesus is calling him out and basically recognizing what a good guy he is. Because he says, I do give to the poor and I do restore back fourfold. So I thought, okay, i got a problem now. So I drilled down further and looked at some Greek scholars. And what it seems is happening here is he wasn't a good guy. But when he says, I give, he's saying from this moment on. So the New Living Translation, interestingly enough, nailed this. The New Living says this, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give. Half my wealth to the poor. And Lord, if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. I.H. Marshall, the great uh, Greek scholar from England, he said the same thing. He said this present tense expresses a resolve. What he's saying is here and now, from this moment on, I determine to give. From whomsoever I've wrongfully exacted anything, and it's interesting, the normal recompense illegally acquired was the amount plus one-fifth according to Leviticus law. But what Zacchaeus is saying is he's going to give fourfold. Why? Because that was what was demanded in 2 Samuel 12 and Exodus 22 for rustlers, for thieves. I'm not just giving back something that's illegally taken. I'm giving back what a common thief would do. A wealthy manager of tax collectors, a powerful figure, by having one encounter with Jesus, is now saying, Lord, I'm going to give half my wealth to the poor. And also, I'm going to give back all that I've taken and cheated and stolen from people. Not just what they deserve back plus one-fifth. No, I'm giving back fourfold what I took for them. Could you imagine the IRS? <laughs> Let's say you have a $5,000 tax bill. And you send it in, and, and they realized you didn't need to send that in. But instead of giving it back to you, they give you back $20,000 just for your inconvenience. <laughs> this is what Zacchaeus is doing. I'm going to give back. Okay, what caused that change to happen? Man, I feel God right now. Hallelujah. <laughs> what caused this change to happen? The man encountered Jesus. Jesus knew him by name and Jesus called him out of a place and called him into his circle, hallelujah, and he was forever changed. I'm telling you, you can't be a cat. I, 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 can't, I can't see this. It doesn't compute with me. I've been doing this a long time. I cannot be a casual Christian. 
I cannot be a, just a cultural Christian. I can't be just a nominal Christian. I can't be just a religious person. I had a life change. I encountered Jesus. He called me by name when I was in a hospital at 16 years old, and it radically changed my life. Everything was turned upside down or right side up. Everything shifted for me. Everything now I've just been pursuing. What happened to me almost 40 years ago? When you meet Jesus, He changes your life, and that's the greatest testimony we could give today. Hallelujah. Is that I'm standing here as a living witness and living proof that there is a living God who changes men's hearts. Come on, somebody give Him a shout. Oh, come on, give Him a praise. Hallelujah. Power of a changed life. Exhibit A, Zacchaeus. What happens when God changes your heart is he gives you a new identity. You're no longer the person you used to be. You're no longer the man or woman you used to be. Yes, you look the same, sound the same, probably walk the same, but your actions and your affections have been completely changed. That's why Paul said he was in Christ. is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. God gives you a new identity and he breaks off you the slavery of your past. Let me show you something. We got some more time today. Amen. Turn with me to Psalm 103. One of my favorite Psalms. Psalm 103. I've preached on it many times. Preached on it here many times. But I saw something in it a little bit different. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. So this whole psalm is, is a praise unto God. It begins with the words, Bless the Lord, O my soul. It ends with the words, Bless the Lord, O my soul. The psalm is like it serves as bookends. In between the bless the Lord, O my souls, comes all of the benefits, and a praise for God's divine mercy. Now the term for mercy in Hebrew here is chesed, which really means loving kindness. It's probably the closest we get to the New Testament definition of grace. And so he starts talking about what happens when someone knows the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all of his benefits. See, when you come into the kingdom, you get a benefit package. Not only do you get an amazing retirement package <laughs> that's out of this world, but you get a benefit package who forgives all your iniquities. He forgives all your iniquities. He forgives not 35%, not 75%, not 80.3%. He forgives all your iniquities. Your record in heaven is expunged. Everything that was on the ledger against you is erased. Hallelujah. Now the ordinances even written against you have been taken up and, and blotted. Those things have been ink blotted. The old ink blotters, like if someone was writing with quill and ink, quill, 
a feather quill pen like years ago, like a Thomas Jefferson. They had, they had to dip it in ink and write and dip it in ink and write. Well, notice the old King James, that when they translated this, it's like he is now taken and he's blotted away all of the ordinances against you. Because how they would, they couldn't, they didn't have an eraser for the ink. They would have a blotter. If they got it soon enough, it would suck up all the ink and leave the paper white again. God doesn't come and erase till the paper breaks through. He doesn't come and scribble out. He doesn't come and white out. No, he takes it and sucks it off the page as if it never existed against us. I'm about to run around this building right now. Hallelujah. He took all the world maybe the world remembers who you were. Satan remembers who you were, but God has taken all those things you were and he's erased them. And when the devil comes and says, "Do you remember Hans and what he did 15 years ago or 35 years ago?" The devil says, "I have no record of it. His records have been expunged, and when I look up his file, all I see is the blood of my son." Hallelujah. All I I see is the cross and all I see is now a changed life come on somebody shout amen, amen. bless the Lord oh my soul who forgives all my iniquities he heals all my diseases not 45% not 30% he heals them all who redeems your life from destruction. We're not bound for destruction. I'm so tired of Christian teaching that God's going to break you down and chase you down with a club and he's got bad things in store for you and he's going to, I just don't believe it. I, after, after all I've been through the last three years, I don't believe it more. I believe more he's into blessing me. I believe more he's trying to chase me down and bless me according to Deuteronomy 28. I believe his goodness is set upon my life. Hallelujah. And I believe when I wake up in the morning, he's trying to figure out. Well, he don't have to figure it out. He knows the ways he's going to bless me that day and the connections I'm going to have, the doors he's going to open, the healing power that he's put in my life, the regenerative power, the sanctifying power on my life. He wants you to go over, not go under. Hallelujah. He's called you out to be more than a conqueror. Hallelujah. He's called you out to be a winner, not a loser, a champion, not defeated. He's already fixed the fight on your behalf. Not saying we don't have to live and we don't have to walk through some stuff, but I walk through as a victor knowing my God has already won the battle. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Not only that, but he redeems my life from destruction. The term for redeem here comes from the Hebrew goel. Why is that important? Because goel is the kinsman redeemer we encounter in the book of Ruth. If you look at the story of Ruth, Ruth is a Moabitess who marries into an Israelite family. Her and another Moabitess girl marry two Jewish boys. Well, the two boys die. Their father, her father-in-law dies. The mother-in-law, Naomi, gathers her daughter's-in-law together and says, listen, you guys go back to your home. You're released. Go back and let the, your families take care of you. The one daughter-in-law goes home, but Ruth won't go. She looks at her mother-in-law, Naomi, and says, wherever you go, I'm going. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you lodge, I will lodge. You know, we quote that in wedding ceremonies because it's beautiful, but it's really between a daughter-in-law and her mother-in-law. 
And so they go back to Bethlehem where they were originally from, the Jewish family was originally from. They go back to Bethlehem, and they're really, Naomi is really disgraced because she's lost her family. They have no uh, grandkids to carry this thing on. And it's really, she comes back broke. And so what happens? If Naomi can't be credited for anything else in Scripture, she knew how to work a man. And she knew the Jewish law, that there would be someone, according to Jewish law, who should come in and marry Ruth. And she knew the law of the kinsman redeemer was that you shouldn't be left like this, broken, that is not God's purpose and not God's plan. He's going to provide a redeemer who's going to come in and redeem. So what happens? She says, I know this guy named Boaz. He's a wealthy farmer. He's got fields, and according to Jewish law, he's not going to glean the corners of his field. It's law. So I want you to go glean in his fields today. But I want you to go down to Ulta. And I want you to, to look nice. And I want you to... Anyhow, she goes, and it works. And then one night they had this encounter. And I'm going to leave that encounter up to imagination. They had this encounter. And after this encounter, Boaz wakes up and he's like, oh, my word. I've got to marry this woman. This has to happen. So he goes down and he knows there's one guy who could claim her as a redeemer in the family. So he goes to the city gates and he says, listen, we got to talk. And he strikes a deal and he says, it's fine. You can have Ruth. So he goes back and he marries Ruth. And the book ends, it's interesting, the book ends not with necessarily Ruth being the one being praised, but Naomi is the one being praised. And Ruth and Boaz have a baby named Obed. And Obed is being held by Naomi at the end, and all the village ladies are just praising her, and her respect has been restored. Her shame has been erased. Wealth has come back into the family. And they have hope for a future. Why? Because that's what the kinsman redeemer does. He comes and restores you to where you should be. He wipes away the shame of the past and any battle you've been through. He heals the scars of it. And then he provides the future and hope for you and brings a prosperity of life back into your life. And you talk about God just saying, this is, this is just how neat this whole thing plays out. Obed had a son named Jesse. Jesse had a son named David who would become the greatest king of Israel. From a Moabitess great-grandmother? From a Moabitess great-grandmother who was broke and, and left as a widow... But God came in through the kinsman redeemer and restored everything to her. That's what Psalm 103 is throwing out here. He redeems our life from destruction. Come on, somebody shout amen. amen. Not only that, he crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercy. It means he surrounds us with the loving kindness and grace and mercy of God. So once your life is changed, once Christ is in your life, you're walking now in a realm of mercy that you didn't walk in before. Amen. 
And not only that, it says he satisfies our mouth with good things. The term here in Hebrew is he fills us. Now he's pouring, we're at the filling station, and he's filling us up just with good stuff. You need some joy. You need some happiness. You need some forgiveness. You need some, you need some holiness. You need some power. And he keeps filling us and filling us. And it's interesting what he says down here. He says he made, verse 7, his ways known to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Notice that not only is Naomi and Ruth a, a, a type of salvation, but so is Moses. Because what happens to Moses is he becomes a type of Christ. He's a deliverer. He's a deliverer. And what's he do? He takes God's people out of bondage, brings them out through the waters of the Red Sea, brings them to the brink of the promised land, and all the while God is feeding them supernaturally, keep, keeping them in divine health supernaturally, teaching them how to worship Him supernaturally, speaking to them supernaturally, and giving them a way to live, hallelujah, as community. Because they were a prototype of what was to come in the New Testament as the New Testament ecclesia. If you read the Septuagint of the Old Testament, the term used for Israel in the, in the desert is ecclesia. But when it came into the New Testament, Jesus uses it for the church and the people who will follow him. What is ecclesia? It's a Greek term that means the called out ones. The called out ones used in ancient uh, Greek polity. When the ancient Greek young men or older men would come out in democracy and be able to vote, they were called out of their villages. In the New Testament, God is saying, I'm calling you out. I'm calling you like I called Zacchaeus from the sycamore tree. I know your name and I'm calling you to be with me and to come into my presence and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to dine with you and I'm going to bring my delivering power to you and you're no longer a slave after this day. I'm going to change your mindset. You're going to get the mindset of a son and the old mindset of a slave to sin is going to be cut off your life. You're a new creation. Hallelujah. You are a changed life from this moment on. Can somebody shout hallelujah? hallelujah. So what God brings us is his divine mercy, his chesed, his divine mercy, which is really, as one man said, love in action. It's love in action. Now we saw Axel's testimony today. You know what it really is? It's love in action. It's love in shoe leather. It's love walking down the street. You are, come on, look at somebody next to you and say, you look like love to me. You look like the love of God to me. Boy, wasn't that awkward. Look at the, per the other person next to you. And if you get the wall, you're glad. But anyhow, look at the other person. You look like love to me. Have you ever seen those churches kind of that come down like this? And sometimes they'll just have one pew, one seat. It's a pew cut out just to make it symmetrical. I saw a meme one time that said, this is the seat I want because I ain't going to turn and tell my neighbor nothing. <laughs> so some of y'all feel like that. 
Come on, you look like love to me. Your love, it's love has come into your heart and gotten in action, and now you're a changed person. So let's, let's finish this by looking at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wealthy man. I don't think Jesus was saying you can't be wealthy anymore. I don't see it in the text. But he says, now I'm going to use my wealth in a proper way. I'm going to give to the poor, and I'm going to restore what I've stolen. A man that was obviously dishonest before has now been transformed into a man that is absolutely giving. And it's funny, in the end, the, person, the people who couldn't see it were the, were the crowd. The crowd couldn't get it because the crowd was criticizing, criticizing Jesus for reaching out to this guy. And then Jesus ends with this saying, the Son of Man didn't come to seek that which was saved. I came after the lost. I can't, he said it like this when he went to Matthew's house. You know, Matthew was a tax collector. And he went to Matthew's house, and he was criticized by the religious guys because he went to Matthew's house where there were sinners. And Jesus said, I didn't, he said, you know what? The sick don't need, I mean, the well don't need a physician. It's the sick that need a physician. I'm not come from the, for the whole, I've come for the sick. So if you come to our church, you know I give altar calls all the time because I'm constantly looking for the lost. And if you have a problem with that, then you're just going to have a problem because I'm always going to go for the lost. Now, it doesn't mean we're not going to see you go to higher heights and, and deliverance and get filled with the Holy Ghost. We have all kinds of stuff. Our whole church exists to see you go higher in Jesus. But God put a mandate on my life that I'm to seek out the lost. I feel like it's a mandate on my life. When I was ending my time in Washington, D.C., before I moved to Elizabeth City, I had a dream. And this dream was very profound. I dreamed the Lord returned. And I saw him coming. And I was in traffic. And I realized he was coming. And we were stalled in traffic. So I flung open my door. And I went around beating on people's windows to tell them the Lord was coming. One guy rolled down his window, and I led him to the Lord. And then I saw Jesus return as like a movie scroll at the end where the credits go up. I saw the crown, then I saw his face, and then his body appeared. I woke up from that dream, and I was shook for a whole day. All I did was pray, call some of my mentors and friends, and ask them to help me interpret this thing, and I knew what it meant. I had to get busy winning souls. I knew it meant I better get with it. I didn't know God was transitioning me to North Carolina at this time. And so when we came down here, some of y'all know who were here when we first came here. I mean, what God started doing was absolutely mind-boggling. We started seeing people saved. I mean, I had been in a very difficult situation planning a church for nine years. And I'd been in a very difficult situation where I didn't see maybe a handful, maybe a dozen people come to Christ. I'd go out and preach revivals, and we'll see all kinds of stuff happen. But in that church plant, we were just plowing hard ground. And I came down here, and I'm living in a borrowed home for four months. And I'm living in this home, and I get a call in that house one night after I first got here. 
And I thought, well, who in the world knows where I'm living? I realized I was in Elizabeth City where everybody knows where you're living. <laughs> I answered the phone. And this guy who was attending church, is this the preacher? I said, yes. He said, I'm coming tomorrow. It was a Saturday. I'm coming tomorrow and I'm getting saved. I was like, am I in Mayberry or am I in, I, didn't, I was like, but it's good. This is good. And I don't know why I didn't pray with him then. I just said, bro, I'll be waiting on you at the altar. I'll be waiting for you. You know what happened? We got in church the next day. That man came barreling down the, alt, down the aisle over in the old sanctuary. He came barreling down the aisle and gave his heart to Jesus. Became a great worker in the church and they moved away to another state. That was just a beginning of a tidal wave. That happened. We tracked thousands of people who gave their hearts to the Lord. So we just lost count at one point of how many people gave their hearts to the Lord. Can somebody shout amen? amen? And I knew that God had given me that dream specifically to say, Son, I'm getting ready to take you to a harvest field. I'm getting ready to plant you in a harvest field, and you're going to start, you're going to start reaping harvest. You've been sowing for many years. I'm gonna I'm gonna have you start to reap the harvest. And so I'm knocking on everybody's window. And when I'm preaching, I'm giving out the call. There is, there's hope for you. You can have a changed life. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you, it doesn't just come through self-discipline. It comes through an encounter with the risen Jesus. He can come and shift everything in a moment for you. Come on, if you believe it, put your hands together and give the Lord a praise. Come on, stand with me this morning. We give God praise. Thank God for the story of Zacchaeus in the Bible. Thank God for the power of a changed life that we're still talking about this guy. We're still talking about him today. Hallelujah. So I want every head bowed with me right quickly, quickly and every eye closed. And we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for everybody in here. I'm going to ask the altar workers to come right now and join me at the altar and just be in place because we're going to pray. And here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give a call. And I'm going to ask you if you'd like to be saved. If you'd like Jesus into your heart. And, and don't do this to please somebody. Or even to please me. Don't do that. If you feel the Lord knocking. If you feel His Spirit tugging you. You, need to, you do not disobey that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you it's a dangerous thing to disobey that. If the Lord's knocking, he's, he's calling you by name. He's calling you out by name. So, Father, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice that you would bless them and you would encourage them today. And, Lord, I pray they would discern the voice of your Spirit calling them. Right now, Holy Spirit, have your way in this congregation in the name of Jesus and touch every heart right now. Spirit of the living God, you search the hearts and minds of people. You know the mind of God. And I pray you search, and, search the hearts and minds of every soul in this place. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching and listening to the podcast. And I hope these sermons have been a great blessing. 
and source of encouragement to your life. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing today, Jesus is the answer. I can tell you, He is the answer for your life. I'd love to pray with you before we leave here. So if you never accepted Christ into your life, or if you just have a need in your life, let's lift it up to the Lord right now. Come on, pray with me. Lord Jesus, wash me from all sin. I accept you into my life. I repent of all sin and I place you on the throne seat of my heart. Lord, I pray right now, you minister to each and every one who just prayed that short prayer with me. Whatever situation they're facing, give them grace right now. Give them the power they need to get through it, Lord. Give miracle signs and wonders today, Lord, to those listening in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We declare it done in Jesus' name. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in and listening and watching us.